Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Boy, he touched the blind man. He touched so many, didn't he? What a beautiful picture. And he never, it never was a progressive making whole. He made them whole. They were healed from that moment on. And that is so picturesque of salvation. From the moment he saves us, he heals us. Now we're still in this body. And we look forward to our glorification in heaven, but he heals us. He touches us, and in an instant, we're made a child of God, saved from our sin, and we're so thankful for that. Children, fourth grade below, are uh, welcome to attend Children's Church down there. My wife is going to be teaching this morning, and uh, so they will be learning much from God's Word and thankful for all of our children's workers and thankful for her dedication to communicate the word to them this morning. Let's find our Bibles and find Acts chapter 19. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a passage of Scripture, and we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning. That's why we're here, right? It's great to sing together and to prepare our hearts and to praise the Lord together in song. But right now we want to give attention to the Word of God. Uh, maybe if there's something that uh, would be distracting you, uh, maybe uh, right now would be a, a time for you just to, to pray a Nehemiah prayer back to God. A real quick, silent prayer. Lord, I just need to be able to focus on your Word right now. Uh, maybe you need to use the restroom or something like that. Do that right, uh, right now so that we can get focused on the Word of God and uh, give attention to his word and encourage you, uh, I encourage you to give great attention to the word, not because I'm speaking, but because it's his word. Let's uh, find Acts chapter 19 and verse number 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the, uh, uh, brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons one of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded, a sore turn of events. Wouldn't you agree? Verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And God's people said, Amen. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them 
also which used curious arts, brought their books together, and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Let's read that last verse together. Ready, begin. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Amen. Let's ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the history of it, but thank you that it is inspired history. There's no other book like it. And Lord, we believe it from cover to cover. We believe the cover when it says it is your word. And we ask you today that you take your infallible, inspired word and you would impress it upon our hearts. Lord, not a word that I can say uh, can convince a, a, a man or a woman uh, against their will. But you, by your spirit, you can change our hearts. And so I pray that you would, in this moment, arrest our attention with your word, that you would confirm it in our hearts, and that you would help us to respond and not be forgetful hearers, but to be doers of your word. And so help us today. I also ask that you would uh, specifically work on those that don't know you yet as Savior, have not yet received you as their, their personal Savior. They've not placed faith in you. And Lord, help them to know that, you're loved, uh, that they are loved by you and that you still require them to come to you in faith. And so I pray that they would today. And we ask that you would just do marvelous spiritual work in our lives today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, that in our culture right now, we are dealing with this matter of truth all over. If you were in the growth group this morning, you really uh, were, were uh, challenged with this matter of, of truth and even the founding of our nation, what was it founded upon, and, and realizing even some of the errors that are being peddled today. But there's a question that has, has plagued mankind throughout the centuries, and it, it really goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it is this question, what is truth? What is truth? We've opened up the Word of God today. Uh, we, uh, we could have opened up many books, and in fact, in some churches, other books are opened up, but we opened up the Word of God. I gave you a passage to turn to. We read it with concern, with, with uh, diligence, and we were really um, pausing to, uh, to, uh, to look at this, this book that we say is truth, but the question that's going on everywhere is, what is truth? What is truth? Uh, back in the Garden of Eden, Eve was asked by Satan, hath God said? Now, God had declared to them, you are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of every other tree, but you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, uh, Satan comes to her and says, hath God said that you're not allowed to eat of every tree in the garden? Uh, has God really um, done, that much, uh, done that much against you and, 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 and not allowing you to, to fulfill your, your, your craving and eat of every tree in the garden? So he even began to twist it, but he began to question, is what God said really true, Eve? Is what God said really true? When Jesus was standing before Pilate during his Passion Week, right before his crucifixion, Pilate, as a political leader, asks this question, and political leaders are still asking this question, what is truth? And it's pretty amazing that Pilate had standing before him, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But yet he asks the question, what is truth? In John 18 and verse number 38. So whether the, you're rich or poor, whether you're young or old, whether you're educated or uneducated here today, it, it matters not 
this question, what is truth, really has great relevance to us today and to, our, uh, to living in the community that you live in, living, uh, working in the workplace that you work in. What is truth? Is it evolution or is it creation? Is it, is it one God or is it many gods? Is it Jesus or Buddha or you can fill in the blank? Is it Confucius? Uh, is it grace um, that we're sa- by, on which we're saved or is it works by which we're saved? Is baptism saved or does going to church save? What is truth? Is it science? Is it faith? What is truth? And I find it interesting the Arizona Christian University did a study in, uh, uh, in, in a partnership with George Barna. I find it very interesting that 58% of Americans polled in the last couple years uh, declared that they do not believe that there is moral absolutes, that there's moral truth that applies to every person in all time. Now think about that. 58% of Americans say they do not believe that there's absolute truth. Friends, uh, about Every other person you meet out in the society today, and though they might have some good stance, they might be a conservative person, they might be the nicest person, but many have, have neglected or are turned away from believing in absolute truth. What startles me a little bit more is that of born-again believers, of born-again believers, and when we say born-again, that's not another way of being saved. John chapter 3 says... Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, uh, marvel not, ye must be born again. You must be born again. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth. You're born once physically. Jesus said you need to be reborn spiritually in order to enter into the kingdom of God. All we're talking about is salvation. It's a picture of salvation. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And we find that of those that claim to be born again believers, we're not talking evangelical, uh, the term evangelical typically refers to those that believe the gospel, typically. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a wide basket. Narrow it down a little bit more to those that believe that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, Born-again believers adhere to that. That's, their, that's, that's what they're subscribing to. That's what they're professing. So when we're talking about that, and it's very interesting to me that 43% of born-again believers have adopted the same thinking that there isn't absolute truth that applies to all people in all time. I want you to think about that. There may be people sitting in these pews right now, you're struggling with whether there's absolute truth. You're allowing your experience to be superior over the word of God. Well, God said that, but my experience is different. And you allow your experience to trump the word of God. You might be allowing a professor to trump the word of God. You might be allowing your mom to trump the word of God. But I tell you today, nothing is to trump the word of God. It is absolute truth. It is absolute truth. And so as we consider this matter of absolute truth, Pilate asking, what is truth? It is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we have absolute truth in Jesus Christ and his written word. This is the expressed word of God. This is Jesus Christ in word. He is incarnate 
word. And so as we open it up this morning, we are opening up what we take unashamedly as absolute truth. As Baptists, our first distinctive, what sets us apart, is the authority of the scriptures. Biblical authority. There's not a creed, there's not a person, there's not a pastor, there is, uh, there is nothing that is higher authority than the word of God to us. That is our absolute authority. But friends, we dwell in the middle of a culture that does not believe that anymore. And by the way, how's that working out for a culture? It's working really well. We can't even define, we can't even define what a family is anymore. Why? Because we have pulled out absolute truth. We, we say that there's many ways to heaven because we have pulled out absolute truth. And we're, we're waffling as a nation. Listen, the blessing of God is upon a nation and upon a person who, who sets their heart upon the word of God and lets it be their, their guidebook. And we've lost that and we've lost absolute truth, our, our foundation. And so my goal today is to, to go to the book of Acts and and show you what God's truth can do in a culture just like ours, Ephesus being that culture that, that, that was waffling or did not have an understanding of absolute truth. And as Paul went into that culture and preached the gospel, preached the word of God to them to see what absolute truth does and how concerned God is with his truth. So Ephesus was no different than today. Sometimes I think we think about uh, different cultures and we consider that they're so different and they were better in some way than us. But Ephesus was a godless, godless culture. It was full of immorality. It was full of the worship of false gods. In fact, many gods. They, they did not just have a, a, a couple gods, but, but many gods. It was everywhere. And as you would look around the, the, the city of Ephesus, the skyline of Ephesus was not the business buildings. It was the, the temple of Artemis. And as you think about the temple of Artemis, as it is just prominent in the, in the skyline of Ephesus, you're constantly reminded of the worship that goes on in there and all the, the immorality and the temple prostitution and the, the pornography and the, just the wickedness that went on in that place. And yet God's truth went in there, as we, um, we learned a couple of weeks ago, and it worked. People came to Jesus Christ. People were being saved, and it, and it worked, but now the gospel's continuing to go forward in the society, and sometimes I think we, we think we need to help out God's truth. And uh, sometimes I come across believers and, it, it, who, will, who will be afraid if I say the truth, you know, how am I going to defend the truth? You know what? The Bible does tell us in Jude that we're to earnestly contend for the faith, Right? Okay, so there is a sense we must stand up for the truth. But you know the truth? The truth will stand on its own if we declare it. Uh, the truth is powerful. Uh, Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it's powerful. Why is it that we had to take the Bible out of schools? Because it's powerful. Why did we need to get the Ten Commandments off the walls? Because it's powerful. It's powerful. And if we'll just declare the truth, it will work. And that's what was going on. But sometimes I think we, have, we think we have to help the truth out. Listen, God will, he will confirm his truth. His truth will always come to pass. Don't you believe that? And it did there in Ephesus. So there in Ephesus, you had... You had all these, the, the citizens uh, who found a certain amount of solace in the worship of their different gods, and specifically the, the temple of Artemis. It was the goddess of fertility, 
And, and so you had all this, all this solace that was going on in the worship of their, their different gods. And yet, in verse 32 in Acts chapter 19, we find that when they came together against the truth of God's word, we find in verse number 32 that they were all confused as to why they were there. And it's very interesting that we live in a culture that, that gets riled up. And we don't like the Ten Commandments, and we don't like the, um, the name of Jesus, and we don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus, but sometimes they get there, and they're all in their frenzy, and they don't even know why they're there. They don't even know what is true. They don't know what they're standing for, and we see that happen in verse number 32, and we'll cover that in weeks to come. But when Paul begins preaching Christ, boy, it did stir up the, the community. Why? Because truth is powerful. Now, as it stirred up the community, was, it in, was there stirring up in all the chaos and the persecution and the opposition? Did that threaten the truth? Well, did it? No. We're going to see today that God confirmed his truth. He confirms his truth, and God is good to do that, and we need to believe today God is no different. God will stand by his truth. His truth will be vindicated. In time, sometimes in the moment, but his truth will be vindicated. How was it that God specifically in this early church, we're still in the church age, right? You believe that? He hasn't come back to get us, right? And so we're looking forward to that trumpet sounding. So we're in this church age. He's still working. Uh, he, did not, he did not say uh, at the end of the book of Acts, okay, I'm all done now. No, he's still working. His triumphs are still going forward in this day. In this day, we must believe that. We still serve the same God, and we must believe that he will still confirm his word. Uh, in, in, and he did in Ephesus, in that wicked culture, he'll still confirm it today. We just need to be really bold with it, friends. Get it out. Have it on your tongue. Uh, be ready with the word everywhere you go. And so let's look at how God confirmed his word. First, notice that he confirmed in Ephesus, he confirmed it with miracles. He confirmed it with miracles. Verse number 11, and God wrought. Say that with me, and God wrought. One more time, louder. And God wrought, okay? And so I'm gonna just give you a little tidbit. We're in this time together, and so there are many times I ask you to speak, and, and if you'll engage, we'll do it one time. If you don't engage, we'll do it two times. If you don't engage, we'll do it three times, okay? So help me out. All right, so, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. Now notice it was God that wrought this. These were acts of God. These were acts of God. These were not acts of Paul. These were acts of God. Now, I believe every word in the, in the Bible. Otherwise, really just I'm wasting my time. If I have to pick and choose which word is true, then I'm wasting my time. Right? We just, we're all wasting. I'm wasting your time. Might as well go home. I believe when God said he wrought, he did the, he did the work. He did the, he did the miracle work. So Paul was the channel. It says that there, by the hand of Paul, and he says he wrought special miracles, so it was not ordinary. It was something that God specifically, in this situation, he wanted to use to confirm his word. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, that when the Lord worked with his disciples, after he commissioned them on Mark 16, 15, he went with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And so we find this, this, this common denominator throughout the, the end of the Gospels and, and into the book of Acts, uh, this, this matter as, uh, as when the word of God was yet being written down, we find this matter where God would come along with the word that he gave his apostles to speak to the, the world. 
he came along to confirm his word with signs and wonders. Now, the Bible says, uh, it says a little bit more about that. Acts 14, verse 3. Long time, therefore, they abode boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so God came along and did that. He says that later on, we'll get to this in, in the book of Hebrews, that that's how he confirmed his word in this, in this time. And so the question is, and I want to I prompt your thinking about this, do miracles still happen today? I'm sure glad they do. Friends, I, I, I feel like sometimes we have we have, we have cleaned God out of his power. We still serve the same God. Now, there were differing gifts, and the apostles was a specific calling. I do not believe, biblically, that there's apostles today. There were 12 apostles. They needed to see Jesus Christ as resurrected Lord. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Paul said he was an apostle born out of due time. He saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. There was a special foundational uh, principle to who they were. They were the foundation of the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but in Ephesians he says that they were the, they were the foundation. They were the, the ones that God used to, to build the church up, uh, upon. And not that they were different than us, uh, and the church is not built upon man, but they were the ones that were the message bearers at, uh, and they are planters of the church in that, in that time. So uh, do miracles still happen? Yes, you, you sense it in your heart. I'm glad that you say that. There are some that say, no, that, that's, that's, all, that's all ceased. I'm grateful for the fact God still divinely manifests himself. We need to believe that again. We desperately need that again in our culture. You desperately need that in your life. I need that in my life. And friends, we should not be content to go weeks and, and months without knowing that God has divinely manifested himself in our lives and in our family and changing us. And thing, uh, things, uh, uh, the thing to think about with miracles that you can define in this way, it's something only God can do. Well, friends, God can only save a sinner. Is it a miracle? When a man says, I am a sinner, I deserve hell, I trust Christ, that is a miracle. I think right now, we think about miracles uh, God has done even in the past year, and I, I don't get over this. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, where's Mrs. Sprinkle? Back there. I, you know what? The doctors, as they, pulled the, the, uh, as they pulled the ventilator out of you, Miss Gale, they, they were the ones that said, uh, this is a miracle. There's a miracle lady, right? And it's a miracle that she's with us. And I heard her playing on the piano again this, um, this morning, just realizing the, the grace of God in her life, and it's a miracle that God gave to us as a church. Now, did, do people die? Yes. But in her life, God gave grace and, and, and extended her life and, and granted a miracle in that situation, even that the doctors uh, recognized. I think when a drunk man becomes sober, you talk, about a, you talk about a miracle when, when something that is so gripping has a person's life, and yet God releases them from that. One of the young men that's coming to intern with us, his pastor was saved out of dr on drugs and alcohol, and he stood in this pulpit uh, probably about six, seven years ago, and he gave testimony of how God completely in a day delivered him from 
from the, the addictions that he had to, to heroin and so on. And yet I think now that man went and planted Shauna Baptist Church up in, up in, the, uh, up in Wisconsin and, and, and led this young man to the Lord that we now have the opportunity to invest in over this summer. It's pretty awesome. God does miracles, I think, when marriages are restored. People problems, marriage problems are real, right? Yeah, when God restores a marriage and takes hostility and turns it into harmony, that's a miracle. That's a miracle of God. When a barren womb bears a child, that's a miracle. By the way, it's a miracle otherwise, too. Only God can do that. I was with uh, missionary Stephen Rains. He's to, uh, to uh, Africa, and uh, his, uh, we, we support his older brother, but uh, his family had come through, and, and we spent some time together, and They've been in the States for a little while because their little daughter has had quite a health issue and uh, has a syndrome that has kept them back here in, in children's hospitals. But he relayed the story of, uh, specifically of, uh, of some, some problems with, uh, with her, her uh, body not getting blood to the right places, and I, I will do great injustice if I try to start uh, saying medical things. But, uh, but I, I did pick up on this, that her body uh, grew a a specific uh, um, vein or uh, a blood vessel to get blood where it needed to go. And the doctor stood back and says, we don't see that, that happen. That, that's a miracle. And the doctors uh, gave, uh, uh, gave testimony to that. Friends, miracles happen all around us. And friends, what do, they, what do they remind us of? They remind us that we serve the true and the living God. And so as we consider this, Paul was in that day at the hand of God, at the, at the will of God, saying, performing miracles that were incredible that Ephesus was seeing, and it was doing something, what was the purpose of these miracles? They attested the gospel that Paul preached, so that from his body were wrought, uh, brought unto him sick hank, uh, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits uh, went out of them. And so the purpose here was not just to promote Paul, it was to promote the gospel, to attest, to give clear evidence to the gospel. Uh, Hebrews 2 and verse number 3, How shall we uh, escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, by Jesus, this gospel, and was confirmed unto us by them, his disciples that heard him, God also bearing them witness, these preachers, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. Again, the Bible underscoring the fact that these are from God. These are acts of God for a divine purpose, and that is to attest the truth of the gospel. Friends, God is still in the business of attesting the truth of his word in this day. No one can argue. You know, I, I was just thinking uh, uh, about, I was talking to someone just this past week that is mourning over the destruction of alcohol within their home. And as I considered that, they've been through so many different steps, 12-step programs, um, this program and that program, and nothing works. But friends, when God delivers someone from the addiction of alcohol, it sends a clear message that something is real about that. And friends, I'm telling you, by the way, I should just, I should just seg, you know, sidebar here for a moment. If you're dabbling with alcohol, the Bible says that it's not wise. 
my encouragement to you is to pour it out. It will not help you. It will not help your family. You say, well, I have control of it. It will one day have control of you. And so stay away from it. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess. Well, pastor, that means I can drink a certain amount. No, actually the Bible says don't be drunk with wine because it is the gateway. Excess means the gateway to all debauchery. The doorstep to every sin imaginable is through a bottle. And so what does the Bible say to Christians? Don't be drunk with wine because that's going to lead you to debauchery and sin. But be filled with the Spirit. Be intoxicated by the Spirit. And so that's what we ought to do. We ought to obey Ephesians 5 and verse 18. And so as, as God delivers from that, it gives clear testimony of the truth of God. So Ephesus was known as a, a city full of magical arts. Satan was um, behind all that. And now, now the, the message that Paul was preaching was being confirmed by the miracles. And people were having to stand up and say, hey, uh, there's something interesting about that. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't just a normal, everyday person coming through here. There's something real about this. It reminds me of Pharaoh when his magicians could not replicate lice, which was bringing, which was bringing life out of dust. They could, not, they could not create life. And they had to go to Pharaoh and say, oh, we could do all these. We could do the other plagues. We could do the other things that Moses and Aaron were doing. But we can't do this one. And they said this. It is the finger of God. It's a finger of God. And you know what? God confirmed the word of Moses on that day, though Pharaoh didn't like it very much. Uh, he confirmed the, on the, the, the word of Moses and saying, this is, now I'm in charge. Pharaoh, you're no longer in charge. Your magicians aren't in charge. You can't fake this one out. This is real. And so God was attesting the truth of the gospel in that day. Now, you can Google not necessarily a good use of our time, but you can Google uh, and find so many miracle ministries. Ministries that are centered around the performing, the quote-unquote performing of miracles. And something that you'll find very interesting as you do that, you'll find uh, great wealth and oftentimes popularity that go along with these individuals that pe and keep people coming the people coming don't get more wealthy. It's the person performing the miracle that gets more wealthy. Uh, some of those you might, you might look and realize, boy, they've been around for a long time and they're still around. Okay? But what's interesting about that is the gain of popularity and wealth. You know, I find kind of interesting about Paul and Jesus is they perform miracles. It, it rarely brought them wealth. No one's uh, uh, sending in money to their coffers. Right? I... I they didn't get a bunch of positive uh, popularity. They got criticism, opposition, persecution, prison sentences, beatings, being put on the cross. So something's a little bit strange about what we see going on. There's something different about the miracle ministries that you see advertised uh, now, and you hear about healing rooms and so on, all, all the, same, the same ordeal. You can find healing rooms all around here. And listen, if, if, you, need, if, if you need healing, uh, you need to be seeking the Lord in prayer, not going and finding some, some upper rooms um, you know, where people are where in, engaged in this type of stuff. We need to get back to the Bible, let the Bible be our absolute authority. But you have this, this very interesting divide between the miracle workers of today and what Jesus was doing. 
what Jesus and Paul were engaged in. And I, I think uh, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And you ought to be very suspect when uh, some of these, even on screen, are, are, are some of the richest pastors in America and even in the world. And they're the ones leading these miracle ministries. Very, very interesting. So we ought to do, um, be, beware and allow truth uh, to, uh, to, uh, to govern. The selling of prayer clause, you notice here uh, this, this matter that they were even using prayer clause, and a lot of these miracle workers will use this as a proof text for uh, the use of prayer clause and so on, but it wasn't a money-making business. Okay, God was re, uh, bringing about miracles to confirm his gospel in that day. And so, as we consider that, we don't want to put God in a box. We still believe that God is a God of miracles. Amen? We don't want to put God in a box. And that's not the goal today. But do understand, there is a divide in what we even see today. And so, don't let them, don't let them and their misuse of Scripture and their, uh, their misuse of what, uh, of even this, this passage, uh, cause you to to uh, serve and follow after a powerless God. He's still a miracle-working God, amen? But it's miracles at his hand and not at the hand of a man to make himself wealthy or popular. And so uh, another thing that we ought to just uh, consider, Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. I'll not give to another. Paul did not get more glory by the miracles that happened there. In fact, he got a riot out of it. And uh, we see that happening over and over again. So God confirmed his truth by miracles there in, ex, uh, in, in Ephesus, but he also confirmed his truth by magnifying Jesus Christ, by magnifying, by lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. But we first need to notice how there was a few guys that wanted to imitate the deliverance that Paul was bringing to, the, to the, um, those possessed by evil spirits there. We see that in verse 13 through 16. And there were certain vagabond Jews, exorcists, they took upon them, notice that, they took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they're going to try to get a piece of this action. They want to get in on this action, get some popularity, uh, have some notoriety there in the town. This would have been good for business. This would have been good for their name, their brand, and so on. So vagabond simply means they were Tra um, they were itinerant. They traveled about. They went from city to city. They were the sons of Sceva, a, a chief priest. So they, they, had, um, they had a religious, uh, they had an, a religious awareness, maybe some religious notoriety. Uh, they had some status. They were uh, the sons of a chief priest. And so they, they, were, they were something. And they, they, it seems here, uh, they took upon them. It seems here that they, they had a little bit of arrogance in, in the way that they went about things. So they took upon them to deal uh, and, and prove their own power over, over the demons and those that, were, uh, those that were possessed by evil spirits. By the way, you and I don't have power against Satan. Jesus does. And I get really scared when I start seeing uh, believers talk to Satan like they, they have power. Friends, Satan is, Satan is wicked, incredibly wicked, devious, he's a destroyer. And uh, to, to, to act like we, just because we're something, have the power to, to tell him what to do. Even Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. 
And so we must be very careful about that. So we had these religious individuals. I stress religious. I didn't say they were believers. Stress religious individuals who were going to try to perform an exorcism, uh, compelling an evil spirit to leave a person. We adjure you. We command. And I love what is said here. <laughs> um, Jesus, we know. <laughs> Paul, we know. And so the idea is Jesus, we have experience with. That's the idea of the word no. We've, we've had an interaction with Jesus. Paul, we've heard about. We know about him. We haven't had, I, and this evil spirit speaking, I, I haven't had an interaction, but I understand. I, I, I understand him. I, I've heard about him. But you, I don't know. You talk about the deflating moment. You talk about you know, standing up to bat and not being able to bat. I mean, it's just kind of a deflating moment for these sons of Sceva, these seven guys that were a little bit high on themselves. And I'm just reminded of this fact that religion, uh, religion is not enough. Religion is not enough. And religion is not a threat to Satan. Religion is not a threat to Satan. Just because you came to church today does not make you a threat to Satan. We, we, have so, we have so brought Christianity down that this is sometimes the sum total of our Christianity. We're no better than the religious that just go to church, check in, check out, go on our way. These guys, these were priests' sons. I mean, if anyone should have had power over these demons, these guys should have, but it didn't stand up. Uh, we don't know you. We don't know you. F.B. Myers talks about, writes about the thought of not being known in hell. Is your Christianity so powerless? Is your, is your relationship so powerless that Satan doesn't fear you? Satan's really happy if he can just keep you doing the, the minimum and not really connecting into, into the vine. If he, can, he, if he can keep you from not abiding in Jesus Christ, you, you have no power over him. You have no, he, he has, you're no threat to him. He, he has you in a workplace, God has you in a workplace, but you're no threat to Satan's causes there because you don't open up your mouth and share the word. You don't live according to the truth. You, 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 you're an undercover Christian there and, and, and it's no threat. And the fact of the matter is, these guys had no power, no, no threat over onto Satan's work there, and he, he simply calls them out. We don't know you. We don't know you. Now, here's something interesting about this. We get afraid about, is truth going to stand? Is God going to be able to, uh, is his gospel going to be able to stand? I want us to remember 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 8. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, going back to those, those magicians in Pharaoh's court, so do these also resist the truth men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further paul talking to timothy for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was so they had to tell pharaoh this is the finger of god and their folly was made known right in the court the most powerful court in the land most powerful court in the world 
Here we have these seven sons of Sceva. They're having to, to stand there as they have been rebuked by a demon saying, we don't know you. You think you're something special as a, religious, um, a son of a religious man? We don't know you. You're, you have no power, no threat to us. In fact, they get on them and they dry them out. And the Bible means every word. They tore off their clothes and sent them running. What an embarrassing moment. You think the Bible doesn't have some humor in it? Like right there. I mean, it, it is an embarrassing moment for these sons who thought they were something, and their folly was made manifest, open before all. Just understand this, that's still true today. When we get concerned, will the truth stand? God will manifest folly in this day. And God has manifested folly over and over. Anything that departs from his truth, he will manifest the folly of it over and over. And it might take time, but he's done it over and over again. And as I think about that, even... In, uh, I should not depart too much, but we, we, we see much about the seeker-sensitive movement in this day where the church has become all about making the world comfortable inside of its doors. And one of the, found, uh, the foundational churches of that was uh, in the Willow Creek uh, area of Chicago, Illinois. And we find that 20 years after, after they have peddled this model to many, many different churches, base your church on what the community wants and then invite them in, and then that's how you get, you get a crowd. They had to write in their report, listen, we were really good at drawing a crowd, but we did not make disciples. We were really good at drawing a crowd, but we did not make disciples. And just understand this, that that is folly being made manifest. Jesus did not tell us to go into a community, do surveys to find out what the lost want the church to be. He told us to go into community and preach the gospel. In love, right? Because that's the answer. That changes people. But what the church has done is it's changed itself to receive them. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The folly will be made manifest. So as also theirs was. And I, I also want to just uh, caution us. Do beware that even if a person has Baptist on the sign, it does not always mean that they're operating according to Scripture. So we need to have our highest authority. We're an independent Baptist church. It means we don't have a governing board over us. Our, our goal as a, a body of people is to, to say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We find that out through your word, and, and let's follow after it. But uh, there are even um, Baptist, Baptist churches that are really getting involved in this whole deliverance ministry, uh, just a, you know, kind of one step over from a, a faith healing ministry, and really getting involved in that and making a, a, a big deal about it. I'm just, I want to caution you. Uh, some of this is sons of Sceva type of stuff, and the folly will be made known. When you see these guys uh, screaming into a mic, get out, get out, get out, you know, talking to, uh, to uh, those, it, it's, it's sons of Sceva type of stuff. Be, beware, beware. That's why you've got to be in the Bible, friends. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be discerning of what is truth and what is there. We don't want to mistake and call false what is a true miracle of God. Correct? Are you with me on that? But we certainly want to be, be aware. And so what is the command that's given to pastors in this day? 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. I charge thee therefore before, the, uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Why? Because it's truth. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He goes on to say, for the time will come when they'll not endure sound or healthy doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap in themselves teachers having itching ears. They just want the teachers that make them feel good. 
that give them the answers they want, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. But watch thou, Timothy, in all things, endure affliction, do the work of the evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Fully, fully run out your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. And so we find that there was an imitation of deliverance. These guys, the sons of Sceva, they wanted to imitate it. Didn't go out on very well for them. And by the way, none of us want to be imitators of true ministry, right? Of true deliverance. We don't want to just imitate so that we get numbers or that we, get, you know, that we can make ourselves feel good. We're not interested in fake deliverance. We're not interested in fake conversion. We want God to be doing it. And so notice the increase of the true deliverer, verse 17. And this, what was known, and this was known, this was known, what happened to the sons of Sceva. <laughs> they didn't have Facebook in that day. Uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have news, uh, a way to publish the news like we did. They, have, they had postmen on, on horses and so on that brought it around, no doubt. But, but they didn't have the advances uh, that we have. And and just understand, the Bible says this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling at Ephesus. The word got around. The word got around and fear fell on them all. And the name of Jesus was magnified. It was magnified. It was increased in honor. Whoa, that isn't like the goddess Artemis. <laughs> this is something way beyond anything we've ever seen. And Jesus was exalted. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Listen, that day in Ephesus, Jesus' name was lifted up high and people were able to begin coming to Jesus Christ by faith. It did not enlarge Paul and enlarge Christ. The difference of today is it enlarges a man. The enlargement of a man. True ministry always leaves the master increased and the minister decreased. True ministry does that. And friends, that's what we need in our life. True ministry in your life this week, true ministry in your Sunday school class, true ministry in your workplace or in your home is always going to lift up Christ and it's going to decrease you. Oh, that we would be okay with that again. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth. His name is worthy to be exalted. And it's worthy to be exalted everywhere you go this week. God confirmed his truth with miracles. He confirmed it by magnifying Jesus Christ. But notice with me how he confirmed his truth with mighty growth. Mighty growth that, that, um, that affected lives and it affected the circulation of the word of God. Notice how there was transformed lives. There was transformed lives in that day. Many believed, came, verse 18, and confessed. They believed on Jesus Christ. And they confessed like Romans 10.9 talks about. Confessing with the mouth, declaring with the mouth, I no longer am following my own way, but I'm following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus and his way and his truth. They confessed it, and we must understand that they were positionally made new before God. If, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so what happens here, these that had believed on Jesus Christ, they had placed their total trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, listen, if you've not yet done that, that is your greatest need today. That is your greatest need to place faith in Jesus Christ, to realize that you're a sinner on your way to hell. I don't say that to be unkind. I say that to alert you that you're in a really, really precarious position. John 3.18 says those that have not believed are condemned already. You're condemned right now. You're not waiting to be condemned. You're condemned right now. 
until the moment you place faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross. And so we believe on him completely as these did. And what did they do out of that belief? Well, they showed their deeds. They, they brought their, their magic formulas and they showed how they did it. They, which would have been, if, you know, to tell the secret or to, to, to tell on themselves, it would have been a matter of losing their quote-unquote power. So they came clean. They got real about their deeds, what they've been doing. And as they did this, they also brought their curious arts, their books, the, the magic, the witchcraft, the, the manuals of sorcery. And uh, the, the, the sorcery, really dealing with uh, one person having power over a, a, another by the assistance of demons, they brought it all together, and in a public way, they started a bonfire. Now, friends, we don't think about that anymore because all of our stuff is, you know, is cleaned up and it's, it's published well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and there's many other ways that this is, this is seen. But, friends, Harry Potter was no friend of God. And it was an entry level into a lot of witchcraft and sorcery. What you are amused by, you will accept. And what Satan has done in this day is he's used Hollywood and many of the uh, entertainment industries to amuse the young people of this day and to say, you know what? Sorcery isn't that bad. Witchcraft isn't that bad. Friends, I urge you, if you have that stuff on your shelf, get it out. Start a bonfire. Show your curious arts and bring it out and say, no more of this. It might be some music that is wicked. Listen, Satan was the minister of music in heaven. And he knows how to use rock and roll and rap and all that and say, well, we can add Christian lyrics to it and we can be okay. No, all we've done is we've confused the message. The same message that talks about sex and immorality and all sorts of wickedness. You think that we can use that as a medium to declare the wonders of Almighty God? And yet I hear Christians say, oh, rap is all right. It's okay. They know what it's all about. They know what it's all about. They know what rock and roll is all about. And it's not about God. It is about sensuality. And you can laugh at that. You can think that that's, that's straight. Well, I don't know what kind of place I'm, you know. Friends, it's, it, it's, it's not an avenue through which God blesses his message. And uh, as you consider that, they brought all their, all their curious arts, the things that were attached to Satan's plans, and they burned them. They did not sell them on Facebook. They burned them. If they're not good for you, they're not good for somebody else. This is something to consider. Now, I urge you to pray about it. You can walk away and say, well, you know, pastor stepped on some toes. Why don't you pray about it? God, is this of you? Is this leading me closer to you or further away from you? Is it leading me closer to you or further away from you? Is this allowing Satan to have some dominion in my life? Or is it allowing me to abide in the vine? What you're amused by, you will eventually accept. Satan is a master at causing us to just laugh at his plans and at his tools. 2 Corinthians 
chapter number 6 and verse number 14. I would really like for you to have this marked down and consider it later throughout this week. But we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? He goes on to say, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in you and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We have lost in Christianity, in born-again Christianity, the understanding that God expects us to be separate from the world. There is no apology for me saying that. We are not going to go anywhere. We will, we will do nothing for this community if we still try to blend Satan and the things of this world with the things of God. We will be powerless. We will continue to be powerless. And I remember saying this years ago. Do you know, people say, well, sometimes churches don't grow and the gospel doesn't go forward. If we will burn our curious arts and make a clean separation with a sin that, uh, that dominated our life before Jesus Christ, you only watch what God will do. He will transform our lives. And by the way, a transformed life is the greatest proof and the greatest confirmation of God himself in the truth of the gospel. When God begins to change the life. We could go on much longer here. Ephesians chapter 4 talks to us about the change that needs to be happening in our lives. That you put off the former conversation of the old man, the former lifestyle, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He says, be angry, sin not. Don't steal, but labor to give. Don't use corrupt communication, but speak with grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but be kind. He goes on in Ephesians chapter number 5, in verse uh, number 1. I want you to turn there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 1. This is a big deal. Is Satan fighting against God's church today? Right, this arena. He is. He tries to tell us you don't really need to put off. You don't really need to be different from the world. In fact, if you're different from the world, you'll never receive. You'll never be able to win them to Christ. You have to be like the world in order to win them to Christ. What a lie! What a lie! Ephesians 5 and verse number 8, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, savor, but fornication and all uncleanness and all covetousness, let it not be named once among you as becometh saints. Do you hear what the Bible just said there? The Bible said all sexual immorality outside of marriage, all uncleanness, all wickedness, all lasciviousness, all filthiness, all covetousness, the, the desire to constantly have more. Do we not live in a covetous age? Yeah, constantly wanting what everyone else has. I deserve this. He says, let it not be named once among you. Go on, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. The world you ever been on a, a job site where it's just no end of foolish nonsense? Just running the mouth? Foolish? Talking that does not have wisdom? Jesting? Joking about things that are not right, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks? For ye of this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater 
Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no man deceive you with vain words. It's okay. You don't really need to change. Grace allows you to just be as you are. You don't really need to change. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. What do we see here in Ephesus? It's time to start a bonfire. It's time to do some clean separation. But we spent money on that. Yep, they spent about eight to $10,000 on that bonfire. And they didn't sell it to somebody else. Friends, it might be time for some of you fathers to go home and clean house. To clean house and start a bonfire and get rid of the things that are, that are instruments and tools of Satan in your home to keep you from following God as you ought to. Make a clean separation. But hold on, there's music on iPhone and iPads and all this stuff. Dads, you have the responsibility in your home to know what's going on inside your home. But they'll never give me their phone. That is your responsibility. You paying their cell phone bill? It's your responsibility. By the way, dads, whatever's on your phone, God sees too. I'm not being haughty about this. They made a clean break. Friends, if we expect the next verse to happen here in Kettering, we got to do the diligence of verse number 19. Start a bonfire. And I have, a, I have a sense that God is walking all over some hearts here today. I don't know. I don't have intel. But I have a sense that God's walking over the heart. You either resist that or respond to it. But the fact is, there needs to be a bonfire where we make a clean break from the things that are not right. It is heinous when we live in sin. Because it, it is one of the ways that God confirms that his word is true when his believers, his witnesses are walking throughout the world and the world clearly sees something's different about them. They used to listen to that. They don't listen to it anymore. They used to laugh at that movie. They don't even have that movie anymore. They used to go there, but they don't go there anymore. Something's different about them. A changed life cannot be argued with. A changed life confirms the truth of the gospel. But one last thing, verse number 20. I want you to read it out loud, good and loud with me here. Let's ready, begin. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. We want that to happen. We love that. That's a, that's a, a summary statement that Luke gives us under inspiration of God. He gives us a summary statement saying, hey, this is what was going on there in Ephesus. It's a really great thing. We want verse 20 without the work of verse 19. And you know what? think 2 Chronicles 7.14 says something, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn, help me, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And then I will heal their land. We're living in a culture where 43% of believers, those that claim to be believers, don't even believe that the word of God's absolute truth anymore. We got a problem. Why? I have a feeling there's a whole lot of curious arts that are still in the life. A whole lot of things saying, yay, half God said, you'll leave here, turn on your music in your car, or put in your, your earbuds. Yay, half God said, is... Is sexuality outside of marriage really that big of a deal? 
is that uncleanness really that big of a deal? Is that, is that, is that party really that big of a deal? Is that joke really that big of a deal? We want the word of God to grow. What does grow mean? It meant it circulated, it rang out, and it prevailed. It was able to accomplish. Listen, we look at our culture and we say, how are we ever going to, to stand up in this culture? God's word is powerful enough to stand up against this culture. God will confirm his word in America. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And God's word will come true in America, but friends, we don't see the, uh, the ringing out and the prevailing. We don't experience verse 20 until verse 19 happened. There was a radical separation with the old life. This is a matter that we need to give attention to. From the youngest to the oldest here, we need to give attention to. God will always confirm his word. His word is true, and you might mock it in your heart. No matter it's still true. It's still true. And we want to see God grip this city with the reality of Jesus Christ. We need to let God's word be true in our hearts and let our lives be a confirmation to those we work with and to our families that God's word is true. And then be amazed at how God will ring it out through us. There's nothing, there's no bell that sounds so clearly as a cleaned out bell. There's no, there's no Witness that sounds, sounds out so loudly and boldly and, and lovingly and, and, and confidently as one who is cleaned out, who's cleaned out of the old life and who said yes to God and, and said, I will do what you tell me to do. And you go into work, you won't even have to work to chime. You'll chime on your own. It, it will be something that just naturally flows out of you. God will be seen all over your life and his word will ring out and again confirm it is true. Your workplace needs that. Your home needs that. And we need to ask God for help. Because this is a spiritual matter. And so I invite you to bow your heads with me and let's ask God for help. When Jesus transforms your life, your lips as well as your life will not be silent. Your lips as well as your life will not be silent. Our Father, right now we bow before you as your people, like those at Ephesus that had believed and confessed you. But Lord, I'm just amazed how they came together and they made a clean break with their old life. And then you blessed it by circulating your word and causing your word to prevail marvelously. You said mightily, Lord. You said mightily. That's been our prayer here. But Lord, I pray that every member of Grace Baptist Church would be diligent to verse 19 so that we can experience in our personal lives and as a church family, verse 20. Lord, help us not to blame you. Help us to look to you and, and say, search me and see if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, is there any fragment, any, any, uh, any part, any closet that still possesses the old life that we've not been willing to deal with? Help us, Lord, today to do business with you in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, how many of you would say, Pastor, this morning, I know for certain that I'm saved. I, I, I profess, I claim by, by biblical truth that I am a born-again believer. I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you put your hands up high to that if that's you today? I have been born again. Amen. 
Amen. Is anyone here that say, Pastor, I don't know how to be born again. I don't have all my questions answered, but I'd certainly like to know. I'll not point you out. I promise you that. I'll be standing out in the lobby afterwards. would certainly like to connect you with a person who can share from the Bible how you can know for certain and get that settled today. Anyone here, God's working in my heart. I do not know for sure that I'm saved, that my sins are forgiven, and that heaven is my home when I die. Would you just put your hand up and put it back down? Anyone like that today? Believers, could I talk to you for a moment? Have you parted with the things of the old lifestyle? Is there something that God's putting his finger on saying, hey, that's, that's being used as Satan to keep you from, from going forward for me? It might be a way of thinking. It might be an item. It might be a friend. It might be a location. It might be some habit. Have you parted? Have you parted with it? Like they did, have you, have you had that final, what you burn, you can't get back. They couldn't get back their curious hearts. Have you made a final severing with that part of your old life, your life before Christ? You allowing Christ to transform you? It's so hard. He will if you let him. He'll make a way. He'll make a way. How many say, Pastor, God has really spoken to my heart about some things in my life. I'm not ashamed to say I have some work to do in my life in parting with the old lifestyle. Would you be, be bold enough to just admit that with your upraised hand? I have some work to do. God's touched me specifically. I have some work to do. I encourage you to take that to God. Anyone else? Some things that I need to part with. I need to, like they did, I need to put in a fire. I need to, I need to have a final separation. Anyone else? God spoke specifically to my heart. Amen. Lastly, I want to ask you this. You that say, I, I've done my best to, to cut from the old life, and that's a continuing process. But can you see God using you, your life, to circulate his word in the community? Can you say of your life right now, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed through my life? My life's one that God can use to mightily grow, mightily ring out His Word, mightily prevail His Word. I can see that happening, Pastor. Perhaps you can't say that, and then I would bring you back to the last question. What? What is it that you need to get out of your life so that the word of God can mightily prevail. What is God dealing with you about? You say, oh, it's pastor, it's so hard. You, you don't understand. There's so many moving pieces to it. God will give grace. And by the way, God always gives hope. Always gives hope. So if you're feeling hopeless, that's not God. He will always give hope. There is a solution. It might not be easy, but there is a solution and God will bring you through. I promise you that. I've been in that situation where I've been confronted with the same thing where God said, this needs to go in your life, and God has given the ability to, uh, to see it through. Let's stand to our feet, find a place to pray. You might pray there at your seat.
come to the altar here. But before we leave today, let's, let's do business with the Lord. Right now is the time to pray. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he's working in your heart. Don't push it off. Seek him right now. I encourage you to come and pray. Father, as these pray, I just want to talk to you for a moment for your church. Lord, Satan is so crafty and so deceptive. I pray that the light of your word would clearly illuminate those areas of our lives that we need to make a clean break with. Lord, your, your word and the confirmation of it is at, at stake. We, we desperately need to see you change our community, change lives within our community with the power of your gospel. But how will they know its power and its truth if it's not being allowed to be true in our lives? Lord, we need your help. Sometimes as your children, we feel overwhelmed. Maybe even in a message like this, we feel overwhelmed by what we ought to do. Lord, you are our Heavenly Father who is keenly interested in a close, intimate relationship with us. You know our frame. You know our thinking. You know our thoughts afar off. Lord, would you be very close to every believer here? And would you show them that there is hope there is, there is a way to live a separated, holy life in this day. That that is possible. And that it is the only way to see you working both in, in our lives, but also in, in a community, as you did there in Ephesus. Lord, I pray that you would purify your church. Help us to be holy. You told us, you commanded us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be holy. Would your spirit go with us from this place, giving guidance into absolute truth as to what we are to do based upon your word. And I ask this for every member of our church and everyone listening here today. We ask your help. We love you. And we ask you to continue to walk with us as you've promised. In Jesus' name, amen. And God's people said... Amen. Amen. Right after Brother Caleb gives us some announcements, we're going to sing the Bible stands. If we can grab that for the screens, the Bible stands. We'll sing one stanza of that. Brother Caleb, if you lead us in that, and then we'll be dismissed right after that song. Look forward to tonight, 530 for prayer right here, 6 p.m. for the evening service, finishing up Healthy Church from Titus. And final thoughts from the Apostle Paul to Titus. You don't want to miss it. It will be helpful to us as we continue to get practical tips for us as a church family from the book of Titus. Final thoughts tonight at 6 p.m. So let's have some announcements and then lead us in that song, would you? As far as announcements go, we do have Grace Go Soul Winning every Saturday at 1 o'clock for the next few weeks. Be out canvassing for Adventure Camp, getting ready for that. Uh, Adventure, Adventure Camp's prop prep night is going to be this coming Tuesday at 6 p.m., 
we have the this Tuesday and then the following Tuesday, the seventh. Is that this? I might be wrong on this. Is Tuesday or Saturday? That's a Tuesday. Okay, six p.m. Be here at six p.m. Tuesday, and then we have the adventure camp starting the twelfth through the sixteenth at six fifteen every night. So this Saturday through Thursday, if you can be here to help with that, make make sure you've registered in the office. And then the 19th, the Sunday following Adventure Camp, we have the Family Day and Picnic. Uh, it'll be at Indian Riffle Park at 1.30. The church is providing the meat. If we, we could people get people to bring a side and a dessert, that would be helpful. Uh, but the church is supplying the meat if you would bring a side and dessert. Uh, Churchwide Adventure Camp cleanup is the 25th. So that is a Saturday at 10 a.m. So we'll be able to take some of the props down and clean up after Adventure Camp. And then don't miss the Counseling for Life Change seminar. This is June 27th at 7 p.m through the 28th, 5 p.m. The cost for that is $79, but for our church folk here, it is $50 a piece. And then we have the teen camp coming up, as well as junior camp, uh, coming up in June and uh, in July. If you sign up before June 1st, then you get the early uh, bird cost of $100 for that. And then we have the men's take and shoot August 12th at 6 p.m. Uh, there'll be a gospel challenge given, so bring a coworker or a friend, neighbor, family member. So for the announcements, let's sing. The Bible stands. Lift it up with me on the first. The bark, undaunted with the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal, and they glow with the light sublime. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. God bless you, dismissed. We'll see you tonight.